Okay, let's turn to uh, Obadiah chapter 1, which is the only chapter in Obadiah, so I'm really not wrong in saying Obadiah 1, but that's the only one there is. And uh, we're looking at a very short but profound prophecy given to a nation that was coming into judgment. And as we'll learn in the next couple of weeks, coming, in, coming into judgment for its treatment or mistreatment, as, as it were, of, uh, of the children of Israel. And it was a treatment coming from blood relatives the um, descendants of Esau, who would now inhabit a nation called Edom. What we're doing in the next few weeks, because we're only going to go, tonight's the third week, we're going to go five weeks in this book, we've already gone two, is... uh, continue to read through it as we go and really connecting the dots as it were or, or pulling the thread through the scriptures here and tying it all together. So the vision begins, the vision of the Lord to Obadiah. In verse 1, the vision of Obadiah, thus saith the Lord God concerning Edom, Excuse me. We have heard a rumor from the Lord, and an ambassador is sent among the heathen. Arise ye, and let us rise up against her in battle. Behold, I have made thee small among the heathen. Thou art greatly despised. The pride of thine heart has deceived thee, thou that dwellest in the clefts of the rock, whose habitation is high that saith in his heart, Who shall bring me down to the ground? Though thou exalt thyself as the eagle, and though thou set thy nest among the stars, thence will I bring thee down, saith the Lord. If thieves came to thee, if robbers by night, how art thou cut off? Would they not have stolen until they had enough? If the grape-gatherers came to thee, would they not leave some grapes? How are the things of Esau searched out? How are his hidden things sought up? All the men of thy confederacy have brought thee even to the border. The men that were at peace with thee have deceived thee and prevailed against thee. They that eat thy bread have laid a wound under thee. There is none understanding in him. Shall I I not in that day, saith the Lord, even destroy the wise men out of Edom and understanding out of the mount of Esau? And thy mighty men, O Teman, shall be dismayed to the end that every one of the mount of Esau may be cut off by slaughter. Before we begin to look at our text, I want us to consider some other verses 
in the book of Proverbs that deal with pride. Pride is is certainly one of the major sins, not only of Edom, but it is a major sin of fallen man. And it was a major sin of fallen man because it was the major sin of Lucifer, the major sin of the devil himself. In Proverbs 11, verse 2, it says, When pride cometh, then cometh shame, but with the lowly is wisdom. Now, always take note of the contrast to what God is saying concerning the issue of pride. In in Proverbs 15, verse 25. Now, these are different from what we had last week, so they're different ones from last week. These are just added on, but they're very important. Proverbs 15, 25 says, The Lord will destroy the house of the proud, but he will establish the border of the widow. Proverbs 16, verse 5. Everyone that is proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Though hand joined in hand, he shall not be unpunished. Proverbs 16, verse 18 says, Pride goeth before destruction, and a haughty spirit before a fall. A haughty, arrogant, conceited spirit will go before a fall. And then in Proverbs 29, verse 23, it says, A man's pride shall bring him low, but honor shall uphold the humble in spirit. There are certainly many other verses where the Lord expresses himself about pride, but I I think we all get the point. He hates pride. God hates pride. He hates it on every level. Whether Whether it's in an individual's life, whether it's even in a family or in a church or in a nation, as we find in the prophecy of Obadiah. And though we'll be dealing primarily with expressions of national pride in our study, remember that any collective body, such as a church or a nation, is an expression of individuals who make up the body. The nation of Edom was proud because its citizens were proud. And they thought they enjoyed many good things. Things that were in some cases better than those of other neighboring nations. They were wrong in thinking themselves to be responsible for what they had. As a matter of fact, all of us would be wrong in thinking that we're responsible for the blessings that we have. From Genesis to Revelation, we're we're really encouraged to give thanks to the God who has provided everything that we have provided us with the gifts and the talents that we ourselves can use to not only express uh, gifts and talents, but show them, work them forth, form them, fashion them, as the word itself means. The Lord said that the Edomites were deceived He said, the pride of thine heart has deceived thee. Pride deceives us into thinking that we're something when we're not. The Apostle Paul 
talked about it in those terms. Be careful when you think that you're something when you're nothing. It's really what he was saying. And of course, without Jesus Christ in our lives, we are nothing. We have nothing. We might have a lot of things, but those things don't amount to anything when it comes to eternity. The Edomites believed some things about their own nation or about themselves that God found to be false. That's where we want to begin this evening in verse 3 where it says, The pride of thine heart has deceived thee, thou that dwellest in the clefts of the rock, whose habitation is high, that saith in his heart, Who shall bring me down to the ground? Who can bring us as a nation down? We are in a very safe place. We are in a, in a, in a most protective place. There's no nation that could come and get us. Then in verse 4, it says, Though thou exalt thyself as the eagle, and though thou set thy nest among the stars, thence will I bring thee down. Literally from there will I bring thee down, saith the Lord. I'll bring thee down from those heights. Well, the first thing we learn is that they boasted in superior defenses. They boasted in superior defenses. In our foundational informational study last time, I had mentioned the geography and the topography of Edom, mentioning, of course, the mountains and, and the difficulties of nations invading this nation. One thing I didn't mention was the difficulty of reaching their capital city, which was called Petra. Now, there'll be some slides up here. I think some of you are familiar with this particular picture. If anything, from a movie, I believe it was Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Anybody want to let me know if that's right? I think it is. Well... This is a place where people can go and, and, and visit today. Usually when you take tours to Israel, some do, then they'll go over to Jordan. This is in modern day Jordan. The next slide shows us another part of, of that city, the walled city of Petra. The next slide is a map. It shows us exactly where Petra is right in this area here. I know you got better maps on the side. But it's south, south of the Dead Sea. And again, on the uh, side of what is called modern-day Jordan. Now, little of the land was suitable for attacking the nation. But Petra was the pinnacle of their great defense system. From the mountaintops in the region, there is no hint of civilian life. But nestled down in the valley of that land is a gorge that today is known as the Valley of Moses. It's called Wadi Musa. And this is Wadi Musa today. You can see these uh, gorges 
all in, all under there. It, it, it goes actually very deep because the gorge itself is, a, is about a mile long and, it, and it's on an average only about 15 feet wide. In some places, two horsemen can barely ride next to each other. The sun is shut out from the place because of the high sandstone cliffs that rise hundreds of feet on both sides of the gorge. So at times, the sun itself is blocked out to the extent that it, gets, it can even get dark at noon. Well, once through the gorge, it opens up into a level valley of slightly less than one square mile, surrounded by many mountains. <clears throat> there are no freestanding homes or, or buildings here because everything is carved right into the rock. The Temple al Khazneh, which we saw earlier, uh, is carved into the face of the cliff and it runs 130 feet high with door openings 25 to 30 feet high. An invading army coming into that city would find it extremely difficult to launch an attack, assuming that they could even find the city. And if they did, entrance would be so slow that they could be slaughtered as they entered. Verses 3 and 4 of our text here tell us what the Edomites thought about their great city and their defenses. Who shall bring me down to the ground? Though thou exalt thyself as the eagle, though thou set thy nest among the stars. That's not dealing so much with the height of where they might be. It's dealing with their pride. Though thou exalt thyself as the eagle. Well, eagle to some extent, from the standpoint of just nature, the eagle exalts itself with wind currents above all flying creatures. And though they, they set their nest among the stars, That would have been the Edomites, thinking that they had risen so high above everybody else. So from a human perspective, it is hard to imagine a safer spot than Edom and its capital city of Petra. It is understandable that they might say, who can bring me down to the ground? But what did the Lord say? He said, thence will I bring thee down, saith the Lord. There will I bring thee down. So what if they had great defenses? <clears throat> so what if their little city was in a great location to fend off would-be attackers? What difference did rocks and mountains make to the one who made the canyons? What good would it be? Armies already commissioned by by the Almighty to humble Edom, were being summoned from afar, according to verse 1, if you remember. The vision of Obadiah, thus saith the Lord God concerning Edom, we have heard a rumor from the Lord, and an ambassador is sent among the heathen, arise ye, and let us rise up against her in battle. There was going to be an army that was coming, allowed by God to come and judge Edom. But just how complete 
was God's destruction going to be? Verses 5 and 6 tell us, If thieves came to thee, if robbers by night, how art thou cut off? Would they not have stolen till they had enough? If the grape gatherers came to thee, would they not leave some grapes? How are the things of Esau searched out? How are his hidden things sought up? You see, the raiders are represented first as burglars who raid a house and and leave nothing of value. These are thieves. They have no regard for ownership. If you've ever been broken into, and I've had that privilege years ago, thieves break in, they tear stuff up because they're looking for valuables, they do it as quick as they can, there are no good thieves that would finally say, you know, we really messed up this house. Why don't we, before they get here, before the owners get here, let's, let's, let's pick up. Let's clean the house. They don't do that, do they? That's not the nature of a thief. They have no regard for ownership. They are to plunder and to loot the city and their work would be completely devastating. That is what was going to happen to Edom. It didn't matter how many gorges there were to to traverse, you know, they were going to get there. God was going to make sure that they did. Edom was to know no mercy, just as they had shown no mercy. You see, that is how God judges. You know, we say this time again that there's a there's a principle in Scripture. How you lay a trap for someone. How you lay snares out for someone to hurt, to destroy, to to steal from is how you'll be judged. In essence, what God is saying is they're going to fall into their own traps. Eden was to know no mercy just as they had shown no mercy, in particular to Israel. They were to be exposed ruthlessly to the greedy hands of enemy looters. The warehouses of his trading center, crammed with valuable goods, were to be broken open. And the safes of its wealthy merchants were to be left empty. And all because the Edomites had crossed the boundary between God's merciful patience and his wrath. They had gone too far, deceiving themselves in their pride, lifting up their hands and their hearts against God and his people. So now the enemy would harvest their accumulated riches and not leave even the leanest pickings. Verse 6 has an interesting paraphrase to it. Oh, they'll take Esau apart piece by piece and empty his his purse and pockets. Jump down to verse 9 for just a moment. Where it says, And thy mighty men, O Timon, shall be dismayed, to the end that every one of the mount of Esau may be cut off by slaughter. These mighty men were Edomite soldiers. 
And it tells us that when God came against them with these invading armies, they were dismayed. They had never encountered these kinds of attacks before, so, so they were bewildered. And, and in that bewilderment, they grew, they grew incompetent. The nation's army lost its sense of morale as well as its morality, and it fled. But the same gorge that sheltered them and the same mountains that protected them soon became the slaughterhouse that God had decreed it would become. And here's something interesting about Teman. It was an area where the wise men of Edom came from. In the book of Job, one of Job's friends, Eliphaz, came from Teman. Job 2 verse 11 says, Now when Job's three friends heard of all this evil that was come upon him, they came every one from his own place. And the only one I'll mention here is Eliphaz, the Temanite. They were the three friends that came, sat with Job for seven days. They never opened their mouth. That was the best part of their visit. In seven days, they opened not their mouths. On the eighth day, everything went downhill for them. They started telling Job one thing or another. They started accusing him of being someone who caused all of this, lacked faith, you know, on down the line. But all that wisdom, all that wisdom that they had would be turned into foolishness. As Jeremiah 49 verse 7 says, Concerning Edom, thus saith the Lord of hosts, is wisdom no more in Teman? Is counsel perished from the prudent? Is their wisdom vanished? In a word, don't put your trust in the wisdom of men. Put your trust in the Lord. There's a, a great passage of Scripture. It's two, two verses, by the way. And uh, it's verses 8 and 9 of Psalm 118. So Psalm 118, verses 8 and 9. This is the very halfway point through the Scriptures. The very halfway point. Psalm 118, 8 and 9. Right in between. That's, that's the halfway point of the Scriptures. And notice what it says. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in princes. It is better to trust in the Lord. You know, it's interesting as we go on here that Edom... We, we don't see much in the scriptures, especially in the Old Testament or the Hebrew scriptures. We don't see much about them worshiping idols or worshiping other gods. If anything, Edom was quite secular. They're, they probably had some gods and some of the people probably did worship certain idols. But for the most part, they were like much of the world today. 
proud of their own activity, proud of their own accomplishments, proud of their own uh, uh, rising to the top, as it were. So in that kind of society, you would actually put a lot of trust in flesh or a lot of trust in man. Certainly a lot of trust in self. But that was not all that they had put their trust in, their strong defenses. They also boasted in their strong allies. Notice in verses 7 and 8, it says, All the men of thy confederacy. In other words, they confederated together with other nations. All the men of thy confederacy have brought thee even to the border. The men that were at peace with thee have deceived thee and prevailed against thee. They that, uh, that eat thy bread have laid a wound under thee. There is none understanding in him. Shall I not in that day, saith the Lord, even destroy the wise men out of Edom and understanding out of the mount of Esau? So the Edomites were very proud of their allies with which they surrounded themselves. They thought that they were secure and invincible, first because of their national defenses, and now because of their strong alliances with other nations. But I want you to look carefully at verse 7. Look carefully at what it says. Their own allies would drive Edom to the border with deception and overpower them. All the men of thy confederacy have brought thee even to the border. They've enticed them, brought them to the border. The men that were at peace with thee have deceived thee, prevailed against thee. They, they that eat thy bread have laid a wound under thee. And they were caught totally unawares. Do you remember something that we learned in John chapter 2 and we studied that way, way a long time ago? It says in John chapter 2, verses 23 through 25. <clears throat> now when Jesus was in Jerusalem at the Passover. I mention his name because this is who it's speaking of. In the feast day, many believed in his name. When they saw the miracles which he did. But Jesus did not commit himself unto them... Because he knew all men. Literally it says because he knew all. And needed not that any should testify of man. For he knew what was in man. He knew their hearts. He knows when we really believe. Or when we just kind of believe. When we have a superficial faith. Or when we have a deep-rooted faith in Christ. He knows these things. Why is this important here? Because the Edomites are not at all like, the, like our Lord. Because they didn't sufficiently understand the hearts of men. Now, we would, we would think that's kind of strange. Because nations and armies actually existed because of their suspicions of other nations. We still live in that kind of uh, society today. 
as far as the world is concerned. Nations aren't just buddy buddies. There was a time, you know, we, we could actually uh, look back in, in, in recent history to know that even, even the Israelis were spying on us. They had their spies here. Primarily because in certain administrations, they, they were spending time being buddy-buddies with their enemies. And Israel had to do everything that they could to at least know what was going on. All of these things have happened under suspicion. So you would think that even the Edomites. But there's something that happens, you know, when we begin to trust in things and trust in people. That we do put our, our guard down. And obviously here the Edomites have put their guards down. They didn't sufficiently understand the hearts of their quote-unquote friends. Nor did they foresee the possibility of these allies turning on them and betraying them to their enemies. The worst kind of treachery in the East is to betray a man whose bread one has eaten, which it tells us that in verse 7. And this is exactly what happened in Edom. Through the years, Edom had persecuted his brother Jacob, and I should say, of course, Esau, but Edom is the nation coming out of Esau. But they had persecuted his brother Jacob, literally persecuted his brother Jacob, with whom he should have had friendly, peaceful relations. Now, Edom's unbrotherly, unnatural hatred was to be returned to him, not to the person of Esau, but to his descendants that were now the nation of Edom, his friends and his allies who are probably Moab and Ammon and Tyre and Sidon, which are always and have been enemies of Israel, with whom he had united, were now going to be the very nations that God would use to destroy him. And so they failed to recognize that their hostility toward God had sown the seeds of his destruction. Their hostility toward God and their hostility toward God's chosen people. That word chosen is, is an important word. Israel was chosen by God. And men in the flesh can argue with that if they want to, but that's just the truth. And the closest ones to the ones chosen are the ones who hate them the most. The descendants of Ishmael, the Arab people, have taken all of their wars against Israel all the way back to the fact that, back to the book of Genesis, to the fact that Ishmael, who was the firstborn of Abraham, was not the chosen one of of Abraham. It was not God. He was not God's choice because Abraham had disobeyed God. But through Sarah, Isaac was the chosen, the son. 
From Isaac came Jacob, Yaakov. Jacob would be transformed in his meeting with God in the desert, in the wilderness, and he would become Israel. They were chosen, not because they were greater in number, greater in power than any other nation, but they weren't. We're told in Deuteronomy chapter 7, what they were, were loved by God, chosen for a purpose. And the covenant that God has made, has made with them is an everlasting covenant. And people need to understand that, that. That's what the scripture teaches. There are many who say, no, they've, they've lost their, their status with God. No, they haven't. Because if you say that they lost their status with God, then you're calling God a liar. And I would never want anyone to do that. So getting back to Edom, the emphasis on deception is not by accident. The emphasis on deception is not by accident. They were deceived by their pride. And now in their pride, they had been deceived. Now, how is it that they were deceived by these neighboring nations? Well, the third thing that they believed in is found in verse 8. They boasted in their exceptional wisdom. Shall I not in that day, saith the Lord, even destroy the wise men out of Edom and understanding out of the Mount of Esau? The Edomites' belief that their wisdom was superior to the rest of the world became a, a great factor in building their pride. According to this verse, verse 8, the people were as much as saying, no matter what comes, we can handle it. We know how to get around in this world. We're smarter than anyone. <laughs> Been a lot of nations that had that kind of attitude. Even ours at one time had that attitude. Oh man, no matter what, we can handle it. We know how to get around. We're smarter than anyone. And like Jacob's brother Esau, the Edomites were essentially irreligious and thoroughly profane. I've already mentioned that. I got a, kind of got ahead of myself. But rarely do we read, as I mentioned earlier, of Edom's gods in the Hebrew Scriptures. But their religiousness was not a preoccupation. And just like Esau, they had no spiritual birthright or even faith in, in the future. They were dead to the unseen world. They lived for power. And they lived for plunder in this world. And as I mentioned last time, the Herods, unprincipled statesmen known for their cleverness, known for their scheming, known for their lack of ideals, they were Edomites. By Jesus' time, they were called the Edomians, but that's the connection. Edomia was Edom. And much of what we've studied so far has, has had me think about our own nation and the events of these past three years, 
in the past few weeks in particular have caused me great concern. With the kind of politics being expressed and espoused by the socialist progressive elites with their utter disregard for the American citizens' needs while feigning or faking some religious petitions in prayer and their total disrespect for the president and his office, how can this nation recover from such insane arrogance? Oh, I know that many people would say there's arrogance on both sides. There's arrogance in politics. Let's just put it out simply that way. But the scripture is clear. Proverbs 14.34 says, Righteousness exalts a nation. Righteousness exalteth a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. Sin is, is a reproach. Missing the mark in life is called sin. In the, in the Greek, if you look at the New Testament, the word sin is, is, is in the Greek hamartia, missing the mark. Missing the mark. Can a nation miss the mark? We have a, we have a nation that was founded on Judeo-Christian principles. But I'm astounded at where our schools are today in the teaching of, of proper history. Now we're too worried about offending certain classes of people, offending them so we, we don't give them the full truth of what had happened. We've lost that understanding of what Oliver Cromwell once said when they had somebody was, taking, was drawing his picture because they didn't have photographers back in the 16, 1600s. So somebody's painting a portrait of Oliver Cromwell and he looks at it and, and he says, hey, you're going to paint my picture. You need to paint me warts and all. When we teach American history, as we should, properly, there are going to be warts in the picture. But that's who we are as a nation. We have our ups and downs. We have our mistakes in, 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 in so many different ways. And we could have made many mistakes as a nation. I truly believe God raised this nation up for a purpose. But even Israel itself was raised up with the ultimate purpose on this, on this earth. Were raised up by God. And they oftentimes turned their backs on God. In fact, many times, God had to judge them, judge his own people. But he always brought them back, as he's bringing them back now. So that's what my concern is here. That we're at a critical time in history. And if we've forgotten everything that has gone before, because we're afraid to offend, then sin truly will be a reproach 
to this people. Proverbs 13, verse 6 says, Righteousness keepeth him that is upright in the way, but wickedness overthroweth the sinner. I am convinced that we're living in a time now, but it's going to be getting worse from here on. The opportunities that we have today to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ in this country. There are going to be more and more and more attacks, more and more restrictions put on churches. In some countries today, Canada, Sweden, other, other nations, Christians are, are told that if, if they preach you know, against certain types of lifestyles, that they'll shut them down. Preachers have been arrested and put in, in jail for preaching against homosexuality. Yet it's in the scriptures as an abomination to God. What are we supposed to do? Righteousness keepeth him that is upright in the way. But wickedness overthroweth the sinner. That is why, that's why it's so important for us to understand what Jesus Christ did for us. Well, we were talking about this this weekend about putting off the old man and putting on the new man, which is renewed in righteousness and holiness. Those aren't just words. In some situations, it, it doesn't matter. In some in some churches, righteousness and holiness doesn't matter. What matters is experience. What matters is is entertainment. What matters is is, 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 is feeling good. Being touchy-feely about things. But we're dealing with eternity here. Is it any wonder that, that, that to Israel, through Solomon, I mean God speaking to Solomon, the son of David, said in 2 Chronicles 7:14 if my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves see that's the contrast to what to pride the pride of Edom the pride of Esau the pride of any nation that sticks its its, its hand toward god if my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray And seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Primarily that was given to Israel. From a spiritual standpoint. It's a tremendous lesson for every nation. Especially those who have believers in the God of Israel. The God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And the God who is the Father of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I know many times, and we've dealt with this already, I've, I've, I've taught on this, but you know, the question always arises, is the United Nations, or I'm sorry, is the United States, well, the United Nations is another matter, we'll talk about them another time. But is the United States destined for destruction? 
And I have to tell you that we cannot say with certainty. My prayer is that it isn't. She may recover her godly heritage. I would hope and pray that that's what we pray for. She may last until the Lord returns. This nation may be instrumental in bringing about a major biblical end-time scenario that brings about the rapture of the church, the eventual seven-year tribulation period, and the second coming of Jesus, whether while on Israel's side or not. We don't know yet. But whatever the case, we should be warned by God's judgment on Edom, both as a people and as individuals. As individuals, if, if, if pride is, is, is uh, the prideful attitude is taken to heart, then the nation as a whole, if that, if that becomes the attitude of a nation, then as a whole, the nation will be judged for pride. And in Psalm 11, verse 3, it says, If the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? And the enemy of our souls, the enemy of our, of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, works tirelessly to make us focus on ourselves and not on him. He's done it in so many different ways. Every lie that we've talked about, Genesis chapter 3, every lie hath God said, God didn't say. It comes back to bite individuals, it comes back to bite nations. The foundation that we have in the church of Jesus Christ today, and I want to close with this. The foundation that we have as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ is something that we should never be ashamed of. It is something that we should always have with us. It's God's word. God's true word. God's pure word. God's preserved word. God's inspired word. I cannot, and I, I cannot say in, any, in conscience at all that some of the more modern translations are God's word. With all the mistakes that I've seen, with all of the, the intent in it to turn it into something else. So we need to understand God has given us a word. Let's believe it. Let's trust it. Let's learn it. Let's live it. Because if the foundations be destroyed, then what will the righteous do? We are a minority in our country. To walk into a church like many of you did today, carrying a Bible, that's a, you're a minority. I've gone all across the nation. And the churches that I see where the Bible is being preached, no one's ashamed of the word of God. No one. 
but I've been to many other churches. And I'm saddened when I go into a church with my Bible and I'm the only one with a Bible in my hand. The only one. You know, the first thought I think, well, okay, well, maybe they're, maybe they got their online Bible with them. Some of us do. I've got two Bibles in here. Actually, I got three. The same translation as this. But this is what matters to me. The Word of God. I want it to matter to you. As we're looking at the day of Christ approaching. Certainly it can come at at any time, but until it does, we need to be ready for the onslaught. We need to stand. We need to stand firm, stand strong. We need to support one another. We need to pray for one another. We need to be family. We need to be fellowshipping. We need to be serving together. We need to be proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ together. Wherever we go, whatever we do. So, be encouraged. Humble thyself in the sight of the Lord and he shall lift you up. He shall lift you up. Amen?